I don't know why Vern doesn't have a lot of confidence in you taking that to the house, uh, but you I don't did. know either. Uh, it is time to get back to work, not just for us here on the Spielman and Hooley podcast. Bruce Hooley, Chris Spielman with you, but for former Buckeyes, Zeke Elliott. Time to get back to work, and uh, well, it's easy to go back to work when you're getting paid like Zeke Elliott's getting paid. Spiels? What is it, $45 million guaranteed? I think 50. 50. First I heard it was $100 million. Now I heard it's 90. First I heard it was 50, so maybe the 50 number. So it's a six-year deal, so in essence it's an eight-year deal because they're tacking on six years to the two years that he has remaining on his contract. Yeah. He's going to make up the guaranteed. The guaranteed money is what you look at, and good for him. Uh, running backs are at such a disadvantage, Bruce. We've talked about this, and he's a vital part to that team. Running backs are lucky if they get two contracts. They get a contract on the night that they're drafted. They get some guaranteed money, mm-hmm. yep. and they get their, their their second big contract. After that, uh, they're lucky to move forward. Take a look at LaShawn McCoy, who was discarded by the Buffalo Bills, went to the Kansas City Chiefs. He's 31 years old. Once he hit 30 years old, it's over. Now, statistics and analytics tell us that 27 or 28 is at times that guys start losing a little bit of, of pop, whatever they have. It just And it's really quick. It's overnight. I mean, we saw it with Eddie George, right? There's a few outliers like uh, Adrian Peterson, but I'm happy for Zeke. Good for him. Good for Dallas. They yeah. need him, to, I think, to be successful. I mean, we want to react to it here because he's a former Buckeye because you're a Fox NFL analyst and we cover the NFL and we talk a lot of NFL and uh, – the thing is, all these contracts, it seems to me, when they're first announced, are a victory lap for the agent. And then as we peel back the layers and find out the guarantees and what point in the contract the guarantees run out, that's when we start to find you know, what it really is. And, and have they committed to him for three, four more years? Which is what you and I said in the beginning was, if you're going to you have him under contract for two. If you add two, that's a level of contract I'm comfortable with. I don't think there's any way in the world Zeke Elliott's a Dallas Cowboy no, in eight years. But I think when you when you give them that type of contract, and one of the reasons why a player agrees to, say, a six-year extension is that it helps the team as far as cap space and, mm-hmm. and moving forward. Now, remember, we have a collective bargaining agreement that's due up in 2021. Yes. And so that cap is going to be a moving target that cap is expected to escalate. And so I think it's going to be fair. Now, the problem that the Dallas Cowboys have uh, is that Amari Cooper's coming up, and Dak Prescott is still out there. Well, Amari Cooper's waiting for Julio Jones to set the market. Yep. Amari, Amari Cooper's not going to get paid what Julio Jones is going no, to get nor paid. No, But he's going to be mm-hmm. in, in yeah. the same you know, zip code. But Jared Goff... Jared Goff has exploded the market with $110 million guaranteed. That's a record. And But that you was get this it morning because well. you possibly, I mean, the way quarterbacks are now today, and you take a look at Breeze uh, and Brady, you know, these guys are playing till they're 40 or into their 40s. Mm-hmm. If, yep. And the rules are set up where these guys can still be effective and they can still be very productive. And the rules are set up where these guys are, are meant to uh, be kept healthy because it's for the good of the game. Yeah, true. I mean, good for anybody that gets paid in a very violent game. I'm happy for all of them. Uh, as it concerns Zeke Elliott, I mean, the one thing that you can take comfort in 
if you're Jerry Jones is, you are paying for production. You look at Zeke Elliott, number one in carries per game last year, 20.3 yards per game, rushing 95, touches per game, 25. He got 47% of the Cowboys' offensive touches last year, 47%. Well, that's how important he is to that team, and no matter the posturing uh, that Jerry Jones was doing during the preseason, remember he came out with that quote, Zeke who? Yeah, and then the other thing that I thought they would stick to was we're not going to – Stephen Jones, I think, said we're not going to be trendsetters. We're not going to set the market. And they certainly sent the message they weren't going to go over the Todd Gurley contract, but they did. And we kind of saw it coming. You talked about cap, and this is all about cap, how they rework the cap, how they fit under the cap. Early this week when they re-signed their right tackle, Lyle Collins, to a new deal, yeah. people were like, well, now Zeke's really hosed. No, he's not. They reworked that deal to get their cap – under it was a more cap friendly deal to the Cowboys to pay Lyle Collins more. Well, you have to do that, and I think the good teams, and obviously Brady's done this, and the Patriots do this a lot. The good teams, there, there's players within those teams that understand. Okay, I have to rework my money to help the team. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to get paid. There might be a little. Uh, it might be a difference of one or two million over a four or five year period, but it's going to help the team. With a cap, one of the best things that happened to me, if, if you don't mind me sharing a no, little, no, please uh, do. I think people find it interesting. When I went to Buffalo, I, I signed a contract. After my first, I signed a four-year contract. After my first year, they needed help on the cap, and they signed signed me to a two-year extension. So mm-hmm. you know, I knew I wasn't going to play six more years. I was thirty years old when I went to, to or twenty-nine years old mm-hmm. when I went to Buffalo. So I knew they weren't going to pay me for six more years. And I said, okay, I will take less money in salary, but per in order, year. yeah, per year, but they rewarded me because they paid me another signing bonus. So mm-hmm. I had the guaranteed money up front. And so when you look at these contracts, everybody knows it. The players know it. The agents know it. The number to look at, we've talked about it extensively on our radio shows that the money to always look at is the guaranteed money. That's why we see reported is the guaranteed money because I guarantee you, in the way he plays and the way they use him, yeah. there's no way he's going to last six more years now at the level that he's playing. Now, if I'm the Cowboys, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want him touching the ball 47% of the time. If they're as high on Pollard as they say they are, then Pollard has to be able to give him some relief, and you have to be able, I think, to save and, and use Zeke in a smart way instead of getting 47% touches and 25 touches a game, knock it down to 21 or 20 touches a game. Yeah, well, uh, it's certainly for, for this week's game against the Giants. Zeke will be on the practice field today, uh, Wednesday. We think we'll see him Sunday. I well, would you think will. He, yeah, I would think his workload will be not nearly on Sunday what it will be, say, the second, let's say the second time through that NFC East schedule where he's really in football shape. Because no matter how much you work out in Cabo – you cannot be in football shape. <laughs> that's, that's a luxury, isn't it? Yeah. Hanging out in Cabo, then flying to Dallas to get $45 million. Good for you, buddy. Good yeah. for you. Let me, um, I'm going to ask you your opinion. I, I think now what we're seeing with running backs is that we're seeing NFL teams are going to try and manage your running backs, much like, and you know more about this than I do, but Major League Baseball manages pitchers. Yeah. Pitch counts. Being careful of their innings. Yeah. You don't especially see complete er- games anymore in Major League Baseball. What's the point? 
Yeah. Everybody knows exactly what they're going to do. You know, your relievers, oh, you can't dare use your closer in more than an inning and all yeah. that stuff. I mean, they do. And look, I mean, all the analytics now, people don't know this. Professional athletes now, a lot of them wear monitors. They are monitoring everything You're about like a these robot, guys. Dude. You are. They're, they're, they're monitoring your hydration intake, your how your body functions and all this kind of stuff. We know this because our good friend, Dr. Pete Edwards, Ortho One, has talked to us about this with Columbus Crew soccer players. Mm-hmm. And believe me, if they're doing it for soccer players who I don't know what they make, but they're not making fifty million dollars guaranteed. No, they're doing it for NFL players, NBA players, and Major League Baseball players. It sounds callous. Every one of these guys is an investment, and you have to maximize your investment, particularly when you're in a cap situation. So, from the tr- nutritional perspective, from a sleep perspective, they're monitoring everything wish, about these guys. I wish I was uh, treated more like an investment when I was playing. Because I think it, it would have extended your career. I think everything's about injury prevention. And the the amount of knowledge that is implemented amongst these teams as far as diet, sleep, exercise, amount of reps, the amount of work that the workload that they get is beautiful. We have the science, so why not take advantage of that science? I, I think it's awesome. I wish we had that. Now, the only thing that I want NFL teams to do because I'm tired and I, I get sad when I hear this. In the past two years in training camp, the NFL lost two coaches. In the last two years. Two years. Tony Sperano with yeah. the Minnesota Vikings. Then we unfortunately lost a, a good man, and his name slips my mind right now, so I apologize. But I know he is well respected, a receivers coach with the Pittsburgh Steelers this oh, year. Right, right, right. Uh, look that up. I will look that up. Yeah, again. look that up. Why, why I go on a little bit of a rant here. If teams are spending all this money investing into their players, I want teams to invest in their coaches' health and hold them accountable. Daryl Drake, guy 62, had a heart attack, went in the hospital. They wanted him to stay overnight for observations. He chose not to, passed away the next day. Breaks my heart. And and I get the you know the football mentality, and I just know he was a good man and was well respected, and maybe this could have been prevented. But I think it's a wake up call for all NFL teams. I, I never hear anybody talk about this. I might be the only guy in the history that's talked about this. We put so much time and effort into these players. Well, we have to also invest into the guys that help the players produce at the maximum level, and yeah. that's the coaches. And I think that coaches' health, they, they need to be monitored more. They need to be put on a training table. If they're overweight, I think it's the job of the, the administration, the general manager, or the ownership to say, look, our coaches are – maybe some do this. are going to go through a, a, a full health makeup, a, wor- a workout, a physical. We're going to find out what you have, what you need to do, and we are going to hold you accountable. Because you're also an investment in what we have. We have the money. We have the means. We have the science to help you to perform at your maximum level. And also, I think it's the right thing to do. I do, too. I and I worry about Freddie Kitchens. You look at him, and he's just gaining weight like crazy. And a lot of NFL coaches yeah, are overweight. The guy, even on Hard Knocks a couple of years ago with the Browns, that offensive line coach, Bob Wiley. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's just not healthy. You're staying way overweight, 70 pounds, 80 pounds, more overweight. You're out there in the hot sun. You're And... and and here's the thing. Then they try to kind of they wear like a sweat top or something out in it's, the heat. It's, it's just crazy. It's, it's like, like where's back the, in the 80s. The medical staff would never allow that no. for a player. No. 
and you're allowing that for coaches. I, I, that's just kind of a, a little bit of a mission that I've been on, and I don't know how to get that message out. I've talked to Rick about it. I'm, I'm going to try to keep doing that. I well, might, he doesn't have that concern with Zimmer because Zimmer's a, a healthy-looking guy. I, 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 I'm not so – I don't – care about how they look I, yeah. I mean there's overweight people that are extremely healthy that might be healthier than you and i we we just don't know i just want them to have if they have the means and they have the resources to invest in their players and invest in the coaches then i think it's got to be upon the coaches to uh demand that for one because of the lifestyle because they live awful lifestyles they don't they they're awful in, in their lifestyle choices as far as you know, they some of them like to go out and drink and have a good time. I get it, just like any other businessman. But I just think there's there's a way to hold a, uh, coaches accountable and also for their own good. I don't want to take away their freedoms, but I also want to say, if I'm paying you four and a half or five million dollars a year, or you're a coordinator making two million dollars a year, then you're going to follow the rules. And part of the rules are that you're going to work out, you're going to get in shape, you're going to have a full physical, and we're going to make sure that you are healthy, not only for the good of the team, but for the good of yourself. That sounds somewhat Orwellian, I guess, a big brother type of thing, but I do think it's important. Well, I don't think so in light of Urban Meyer and your did friendship with Orwellian? Urban. You did. In and a correct manner. And, and correctly. <laughs> Very nice. Fantastic. <laughs> That's the upset of the day. That's very good. But, I mean, and, and it should be pointed out, you don't have to be overweight to be unhealthy. Right. Look at Urban. I mean, Urban went the other way. He didn't have didn't weigh enough because he just, you know, ground himself into the dust down at Florida and pledged to be different at Ohio State, and I think for a while he was. And then later on, his health problems, were they related to him, you know, locking in too much on grinding to win a championship or not? We'll never know. Maybe that was a genetic issue with the, the brain cyst, but it is something that guys have to monitor. And it's actually something I really want to talk to Ryan Day about. The format at Ohio State That's a good idea. is, is it's, it's hard to have that kind of a conversation with a coach because – the way it works at Ohio State, and I, I was able to get three questions with Ryan Day yesterday, but more football-related. When you're in that media environment at OSU on a Tuesday Ryan Day press conference, you have to be respectful of the other people around you in the room who are trying to gather game information. Yes. If I start talking to Ryan Day about what I, what I really would find most interesting to talk to Ryan Day about, and it's probably because of where I am in my life with three daughters— and it's very important to me to have time with my daughters, to be invested with my daughters, each one individually and also collectively as a family. Ryan Day has young children. He has three young children. And I would love to know, A, do they think it's really cool now that they get to be in the coach's box in the press box? Mm -hmm. I sang the national anthem one time in a minor league baseball game, and my kids still talk about that was so fun. We got to go in the skybox. We got all the, the pop and the cookies and stuff we wanted. I wonder how his kids feel about him being head coach at Ohio State. I wonder if he and his wife sat their children down and had a conversation with them and said, look, our lives are about to change. Yeah. I'm the head football coach at Ohio State, and that's going to bring more scrutiny on you at school and la, 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 la. That's interesting to me, and I think it would be interesting to people. But in that format on a Tuesday where it's about Luke Fickle and it's yeah. about Cincinnati and it's about the, the line and the defense and all that, it's hard to find that time to ask him. But I hope to get that chance to ask him at some point about that. Before we get to what I did ask Ryan Day about the other day, I want to ask you, while we're talking former Buckeye running backs, current Dallas Cowboys, what about a former Buckeye running back who's an ex-Dallas Cowboy 
It might have escaped a lot of people's uh, notice. Mike Weber cut last week by the Dallas Cowboys. Did Mike Weber make a mistake leaving school to go to the NFL after being at OSU a redshirt year and three years as a player? I don't think he would have helped his draft status one bit. I don't think he made a mistake at all. I think he took his shot. Because of the nature of the position, he was almost forced to go early. I think Mike saw the writing on the wall that J.K. Dobbins was going to be the mainstay. I mean, they might have said 1A, 1B. Yeah. I think J.K. Dobbins, in their minds, in the coaches' minds, were going to, he was going to be the main ball carrier. So I believe Mike Weber made the right choice. Now, if Mike could not make the Dallas Cowboys, and I watched, I don't, I watched the waiver wire. I don't think he's been picked up. Maybe he has been picked up on a practice squad. I don't know. Hopefully, he has. If he hasn't, one of the benefits coming up is that uh, the XFL is going to uh, take place, and it'll give guys another platform to showcase their talents. But if you're asking me that Mike Weber did he make a mistake of coming out early? No, he didn't. He's a running back. He took a shot. It didn't work out. And uh, we'll see what his future holds. Yeah, I don't think he made a mistake either for that same exact reason. I don't think he helps himself by staying. You're going to take more hits in college. You might as well take the chance to get paid. He certainly got paid something to go to camp with the Dallas Cowboys, more than he would have gotten paid at Ohio State. And I think, too, Mike Weber's one of those guys. We see it all the time. You know, James White from Wisconsin was a kind of a Mike Weber-type back. A lot of it is fit. A lot of it is finding the right place. Who was the guy the Rams picked up last year in the middle, uh, after Gurley got hurt? C.J. Anderson. Anderson. I mean, so much of it is opportunity and fit. And I would not say that this means Mike Weber's NFL career is over. It just means that it's delayed and it's taken somewhat of a fitful start. Yeah, and but uh, running backs set the, their own set of rules. And that's why I believe Urban even talked about this. I mean, he obviously wants all his guys to say, but if you're a running back, I mean, if you're staying another year, that's another year of hits. So that is not a positive on NFL draft boards or scouts. That's a negative because of the amount of hits that he would take at running back. And I'm hoping that Mike gets another opportunity. I think he's talented enough where he will get another look mm -hmm. or another opportunity. And I don't believe he's been signed to a practice squad. I haven't seen it. He so, has not yeah. as of yet. But you know what? They're playing football on Sunday, and somebody's going to get injured, and somebody's yeah. going to need a player. That well, is how it goes. I think Pollard was so uh, impressive, yeah. too, that, you know, Mike, uh, it, it also depends on numbers. Like, I'm doing the Falcons this week. They're keeping an unprecedented amount of running backs. I keep uh, five or six. I know the Vikings are keeping five or six running backs. Uh, Why? With Dalvin Cook. He well, great, you have Dalvin Cook. They have a guy named Mike Boone. They have a guy named C.J. Ham, who's a fullback. They have a guy, an Amir Abdullah, and I probably, and they have one on practice squad. The beating that these guys take, Bruce, is uh, is, is something where you want to have somebody that if you go down, you have somebody game ready that's in system. And plus, we've seen this day and age of NFL. Long gone are the days of Eddie George. Right, that uh, what we have now is guys, and we just talked about it with Zeke Elliott. You got to—they're on pitch counts. You got to uh, manage the amount of touches and carries that they get because these guys have to go at least 16 games. And you think about it as we move forward into the future. If the NFL in their new collective bargaining agreement starts to go 18 games, running backs—you'll uh, see more teams keeping four and five running backs, maybe six running backs, at least five and one on a practice squad. 
Well, the Cincinnati Bearcats rotate running backs. Michael Warren is uh, their main running back. Uh, UC, of course, plays the Buckeyes on Saturday in Ohio Stadium. We have talked about the Luke Fickle, uh, you know, uh, dynamic to this game with Luke, the former Ohio State player, former Ohio State assistant coach, coming back into the stadium to coach against Ryan Day, who, you know, could have been a guy that Luke would have been contending for the right to succeed Urban Meyer had Luke stayed at Ohio State. He did not. Ryan Day is the man in Columbus. Luke Fickle is the man in Cincinnati. And uh, Luke opened with a win over UCLA. It's a good win. UCLA is coached by Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly is Ryan Day's mentor. Mm -hmm. And so yesterday, when I got a chance to catch up with Ryan Day, on the Ohio State campus, uh, I asked him a series of questions, starting with whether he has had a chance to talk to Chip Kelly in the aftermath of the Bruins' loss Saturday night at Cincinnati. Well, you know, we didn't talk too much about the game, really. We talked about um, you know, my college coach is going through a tough time right now and a few other things, and uh, you know, wished him luck this week against San Diego State. We kind of talked about those kind of things and talked about his team, talked about my, you know, our team and kind of where things are going, and, and, and that was it. Obviously, without saying what it was, do you get into schematics and what didn't work or did work for them, or do you not talk about that stuff? Uh, not really. You know, typically we would, but there's just there was some things that were more important at the time to talk about, and um, so you know, we really didn't get into all that. Luke was hired on December the 10th at Cincinnati. You were hired here on January the 3rd. I don't know if you even came in and looked around, but are, were you guys literally – Two ships had passed in the night. When you talked to him Saturday before the game, will that be the first time you guys have ever spoken to each other? No, no, no. I've seen I've seen Luke uh, before. I've seen him at different events and different things. Yeah. One last thing. Uh, Justin had a big game. Jalen Hurts had a big game. Jacob Eason had a big game. You're a quarterback guy. Three transfer quarterbacks all had big games. What's the challenge coaching a guy like that who's not recruited, not redshirted in your system, comes in? I mean, obviously uh, Eason redshirted, but you know, the challenge of coaching them and getting them up to speed right away that results in the kind of statistical performance all three guys had. I think it's something that we have to get used to in college football, unfortunately. Um, whether it was Dwayne Haskins for one year or, you know, Trevor Lawrence playing last year or, the, you know, these, you know Bo Nix uh, playing, you know, as a freshman the other day, Sam Howell at North Carolina, and then, and then this transfer situation. So guys are getting on the field early. That just is the trend right now in college football with quarterback play. And so we just got to do a good job. You got to uh, understand how you're how you're teaching concepts, and, and make sure that you know you're not exposing them to too much early on, and build their confidence as they go. Uh, and I do think there's an art to it. I think it's it's important not to uh, put too much on them early on, and, and teach them you know certain things, and and then don't get rewarded for bad behavior. Because sometimes you know when you're a really good athlete, you get away with things that are going to hurt you down the road in bigger, tighter games. And so that's all part of the process. So there's Ryan Day, and he did talk about uh, his favorite play of Justin Fields on Saturday was the throwaway, where he's talking about that stuff of you get rewarded for bad behavior sometimes because you're such a great athlete, but right. eventually in a game it will uh, snap up to bite you. A um, couple things. First of all, I got to believe, I may not have been the main point of conversation, but I got to believe, all right, Chip, would you have on him? course i mean of course and i i just think it's there's you know, nothing wrong with it's that. yeah it's but it's probably difficult to say you know yeah he kind of said it yeah a little bit so you know what what works what doesn't work uh i i know that conversation took place sure. uh, Who's i good would on their i defense? would think it would yeah. be a dereliction of duty if ryan day didn't say what works what doesn't work and, and believe me luke has his guys that say okay 
for Ohio State. You know, this is what we have. Are we seeing it the same way you, you saw it? But that happens every week in every single college football game, That's so there's football. nothing wrong with that. That's football. Uh, I, I have a theory on quarterbacks that are coming in, playing early, and the success of those guys. Go ahead. Justin Fields, huge day, four touchdown passes, one rushing. Uh, you know about Jalen Hurts because he's the Alabama guy and he went three touchdowns rushing, three throwing. Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield had never done that before. The guy you may not know about, Jacob Eason, who was at Georgia right. and started then a full year, then got hurt his first game as a sophomore. Jake Fromm stepped in, took Georgia to the national championship game. So Jacob Eason transferred the whole world now. We could have a playoff spiels with Washington quarterback by a former Georgia Bulldog, Ohio State quarterback by a former Georgia Bulldog, and Georgia quarterback by a Georgia Bulldog. Jacob Eason in his debut for Washington, 27 of 36, 349 yards and four touchdowns, and they're the only hope to get into the playoff from the Pac-12. Yeah, well, my theory is on these quarterbacks and why they're so successful is simply this. First of all, in mainly high school quarterbacks, they're training to play quarterback from a very early age. Mm -hmm. They're training from hiring personal quarterback coaches. I know a couple people in town that have hired guys to help young players as young as six or seven or eight years old. I'd do the same thing if I had a son that had potential to be a quarterback to teach him how to drop back, to teach him how to hold a football, to work on footwork. Then, unlike when you and I were in school, most of our quarterbacks, they played three sports. <laughs> You know, they were yeah. the shortstop or well, pitcher sure. in baseball. They were the best athlete in school. Yeah, they were the best athlete in school, so they played three sports. Well, we're not getting that. We have, first of all, these guys are going to quarterback camps, quarterback schools, uh, their own personal coach is a quarterback. They're seven-on-sevens. And so when you have all these guys focused on playing the position, by the time a college comes in to recruit them, all these quarterbacks are more game-ready or college-ready than they were in the past. I think, and they're so much more knowledgeable in the mental part of the game. And that's why I think we're having this type of success from these young quarterbacks. The other, the problem with that is that every high school hotshot quarterback mm -hmm. thinks he should be the starter wherever he goes. And yeah. if that is not the case, they have the transfer rule, which I'm more than happy to endorse. I think, and you and I talked about this, that every college athlete should get a one-time waiver that, hey, it's not working out here. I don't like it. I'm going to transfer. Yeah, but then you see guys like, remember Gunnar Keel who played at Cincinnati, originally signed with Notre Dame, and then you do see guys transfer someplace and never play and transfer again. There was a, a kid this week that I was watching who did that, and I can't think of his name, but uh, transfer quarterback in the Big Ten, Brandon Peters, Michigan quarterback, looked pretty good for Illinois, but uh, it's probably not hard to look good against Akron <laughs> in the opener. But there are, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you, you could find, I'm going to say 12 Power 5 schools who are quarterback this year by a guy who transferred in from somewhere else. Yeah, and we look at starting quarterbacks, either they're graduate transfers. Shea Patterson. Shea Patterson, uh, Jalen Hurds. Uh, Hunter Johnson, Northwestern, you know. came from Clemson. So either, Justin Fields, yeah. uh, uh, Jacob Eason, you know, on and on and on. So, and but the question, or they're very young, right? Rarely do we have the guy, okay, he's been uh, serving as a backup for three years now, and now his, his time. Yeah. 
I mean, Joe Burrow. I, Joe Burrow's I, another transfer starting for somebody. I look at my my college career. Right, we had Mike Tomzak. Yep. Uh, Jim Cursatis, who redshirted, was a redshirt junior. Started his redshirt junior year, redshirt senior year. Tom Tupa, who was our punter, mm-hmm. uh, only played quarterback his senior year. Had a had a nice career as a punter and a backup quarterback. I don't know, close to 15, 16 years Tom played. Had a very nice career. Saved the roster start, spot. Was the starting quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals for at least a year. Yeah. And so, I mean, the long gone are those days. And it, Ryan hit it right. It's the reality that we live in that these guys – if they're not happy, if they're not getting an opportunity to play, they're going to go someplace else to play. And that's been the evolution of offense, too, because the, all the offenses in college football, at least the ones that I watch, are so quarterback-friendly with all the RPOs and stuff. And they put up insane numbers. We should get uh, Mr. Tupa on the show sometime. Tom Tupa, I remember, was finishing his Ohio State football career when I came on the beat uh, moving to Cleveland from Miami, Florida. And I walked into St. John Arena one day for basketball practice, and Tom Tupa was out there playing basketball. And uh, from a standing jump, jumped up and dunked it backwards. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. He was a tremendous athlete. Whoa. He was a tremendous athlete. Uh, uh, Brexville, Ohio. Brexville, Broadview Heights High School football <laughs> coach right now. Yes. Nice. And, uh, yeah, he had a very long career in the NFL and was, uh, for my money, well, I don't know, Tom Skaldani, Tom Tupa, greatest punter in Ohio State history. You could have a pretty good argument about that one. Yeah, I remember early Bruce used to say, when Tupa hits a ball, it's like a beautiful nine iron, you know, that goes 170 yards. Sounded to... like a bazooka. <laughs> yeah, it was tremendous. Uh, Twitter poll that we put out for the people. You watched Ohio State win easily on Saturday. You watched Michigan win easily, but not as easily. It didn't feel to me like on Saturday night. So I asked, uh, based upon what you saw, Ohio State, Michigan, are you more or less confident the Buckeyes will win in Ann Arbor at the close of the regular season. 76% of our respondents say they are more confident, and I am right there with them. More <laughs> confident. I did not see anything from Michigan that concerned me. And I saw one thing, see if you can guess what it is, that I said, nope, that's not going to work. For Michigan? Yes. You don't like the quarterback who was the uh, PFF Pro Football Focus College Eckert Farm Player, the Big Ten Quarterback of the Week. He was. Shea Patterson was the Pro Football Focus Eckrich, so you have to be a meathead to pick him. Yeah, thank you. Quarterback of the Week. Here's why I, I am. I'm more confident in this. I'm not more, not because of Justin Fields, not because of the 28 points. I'm more confident because I think that the defense is so much better. They play so much faster than they played last year. At times, I felt like our defense was playing in cement shoes last year. I think the linebackers are really good. Uh, mm-hmm. Malik Harrison is... Tell them your favorite linebacker. Well, they're all good, but people got on Pete Warner. I mean, you have to watch the film and understand that Pete Warner is, is going to be an important part, and there's a reason why he's on the field, right? There's a reason why when, when they go the bullet package or whatever position they call it, he stays on the field. Yeah. He is a very good football player and a good linebacker, and he's big. People, he's 6'3", 240 pounds, and, and he, he covers run. well, and he covers well. Yeah. So he's he's playing much better. So I'm more confident only from the fact of not anything to do with Ryan Day or the offense. I just think the defense is going to be so much better than it is or was last year. Now, that's not hard to do, but I just saw great signs on Saturday. Okay, here's what I don't like about Michigan. 
it's bad enough when you are playing the wrong quarterback, which they are doing, in my opinion, in Shea Patterson. I, I disagree with who that. Puts the ahead. ball on the ground a lot and misses guys who are open. The only thing worse than playing the wrong quarterback is playing two quarterbacks. And they are apparently uh, dedicated to continuing this. Here is a quote from one of the two quarterbacks, the guy who should be starting and playing all the time, in my opinion, Dylan McCaffrey. He told Angelique Shangalis, our friend from the Detroit News, the two-quarterback system, I obviously like it. It gets me a chance to get on the field. I think it can be really effective at times. I definitely think we'll work on it, and a lot of that is on me. I think it's fun. It's pretty versatile. No. It's awful. No. You and I have never, we've been on the same page on a two-quarterback system. The other thing that I'm concerned with is how long can Harbaugh stand there and embrace this type of offense before he just, I I, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Josh Gaddis does have tight ends on the field, so Harbaugh's not going to go for an offense without a tight end. Yeah. Or multiple tight ends. Uh well, how long is it before he starts taking over? Play well, till when it doesn't work. You know, <laughs> when it doesn't work. It worked enough against Middle Tennessee State. Uh, they have Army this week. Now, I'm going to be real interested to see the Michigan defense and whether Army can run the ball on them because Army's not going to throw it. Army's going to run it. There's no doubt Michigan knows what's coming. Can they stop it? Well, that's that's the, the trick for all these teams that play uh, a triple option team like Army. I mean, can you stop that? And it, it, you have to change your whole defensive scheme and philosophy. Instead of playing, you know, let's get off the ball, get after them, run to the ball, see ball, get ball, everybody has to play a, a gap first, and everybody has to play a responsibility. Somebody's got to be on a dive. Somebody's got to be on a pitch. Somebody has to be on a quarterback in the secondary. Has to be constantly aware if they're in any type of man coverage or deep zone that they're going to do some type of play action and make sure you're not getting nosy. That whole offense is a setup for everything. Every play sets every other play up. All right, we have Titans and Browns on Sunday. Spiels is doing Falcons and Vikings, so we're going to have a lot more on the Friday edition of Spielman and Hooley on the NFL. But before we wrap this one up, let's go to the emails. You can always email the show, Spielman and Hooley. Oh, no. See, i got to know the email myself. Spielman Hooley podcast at gmail.com. Spielman Hooley podcast at gmail.com. All right. Now the first email comes from Zachary and Zachary is the guy who said, please put your podcast on Castbox." So we did that. And Zachary said, Hey, I already talked to someone about it. And she said she has already subscribed. Uh, we need, he says, uh, you guys are doing a great job. We need to support each other as brothers in the faith. Really happy that you guys are unashamed of who you are. Thank you, Thanks, Zachary. Zachary. We appreciate that very I much. I got an answer one day. It ain't going to be to <laughs> anybody on this planet. That is true. Now we go to uh, John. John says, question for your next podcast. I was listening to you, and you both were discussing why you thought Drew Stanton was the backup quarterback to Baker Mayfield. Chris Sheridan thought Baker would listen to Stanton, and Stanton could put Baker in his place at times and tell him to shut up, and Baker would respect that. My question for Chris is, when he played at Ohio State and with Detroit, who did he respect and listen to? I know he was a great leader on those teams, but I was curious to hear who he really appreciated and listened to as a player. That's John in Columbus. Thank you, John. Um, a bunch of guys. And I go back to my own. As long as the guys were producers, I would listen to them. Mm-hmm. You know, And when I said that Drew can tell Baker to shut up and Baker would listen to him, 
I, I, I didn't mean it in a derogatory way. I was just using a phrase. But I think you hit on up. an important concept, and that is you have to have respect for the person who says it because you respect their knowledge or their position yeah. in the game. I would probably say uh, uh, Kevin Glover was a guy that I had tre- tremendous amount of respect for. The quarterbacks, if I would talk to him, but it was always a respectful conversation. But I only listened to guys that were producers. Uh, yesterday was Benny Blade's birthday. Benny Remember, Blades. And, and you covered Benny at Miami of oh, Florida. Oh, I love Benny. Benny's one of my favorite stories he's, of all time in sports. You'll have to tell that tell one time. tell my Benny story? Mm, but love, but Benny it. was uh, like William White, uh, who's was a teammate of mine at Ohio State and a teammate of Detroit. We all listened to each other because we talked to, to each other. But sometimes uh, when you have a guy as explosive as Baker or thinks that, okay, and which is not a bad thing, by the way. I got every single answer. Mm-hmm. But if he has that one guy that says to him, hey, Baker, you might want to look at it like this. I just had this conversation real quick last night. I'm going to give you a piece of fatherly advice Excellent. to fathers out there, especially as your kids get older. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to this guy last night, and he's talking to one of his older daughters. Okay. okay? And the older daughter says, I'm going to make this decision. And his wife says, well, tell her that's not the right decision to make. Well, you can't do that with older kids, and, and you're going to find out you can't do that with your high school kids now. Yeah. So what I learned, the secret to my madness is this. I used to tell them, do as I say, not as I do. Just shut up, shut your mouth and do it. You'll do what you're told. I used to do that. It gets that's you, how we were raised. <laughs> yeah. That's how we were but raised. But it gets you nowhere. No. So my suggestion was this, is that, Look, you're going to make a decision, and your way is uh, one way to think about it. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. But from my experience and from what I lived through, here's my thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. So what I want you to do before you make your final decision is to consider what your answer to the question is, what my answer to the question is. Then you make your decision. You live with your decision. And nine times out of ten, they usually make a decision which you know is the right decision, which is... Your decision. This is your decision. <laughs> that you you know, it's interesting. That's a great way to make a decision because I think before you decide, you need to know why you decided. And that brings me back to an Ohio State-Michigan memory. Years ago, uh, Ohio State ran the fumble ruski late in a Michigan game up in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. Jim Lachey was supposed to pick the ball up and run it uh, inside Michigan territory. Uh, the play blew up. Michigan recovered the football, and the game ended. Earl gave like three or four reasons why he did it. Uh, And they all made sense. You know, Michigan had stunted its defense a certain way all day. Jim Lachey, you know, la, 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 fast guy, could score, could break their backs. Earl had a purpose. Look, it didn't work. And sometimes our decisions don't work. But if you just make a decision and it doesn't work, you wonder, what 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 in the world was I thinking? Why did I do that? If you've thought it through ahead of time, you at least can have peace maybe if it goes south on you. Yeah, uh, well, every decision is made is is usually calculated and, and game planned, and that's I think what we're trying to implement into offering advice, especially for older children, because um, you know one of my kids I had trouble communicating with, and I and I asked her why do we have this trouble communicating because she said to me because you treat me like I'm four mm. and I'm not four. And instead of me going and blowing up, I said, you know what? Let me think about that. I thought about that. I came back and I said, you're right. And ever since then, I said, look, you give me your decision or your answer or how you're going to attack this problem. I'll give you mine. 
because I respect you and I believe in how you were raised, you'll make the right decision. But here's my experience and here's how I would handle the situation. Now you go, you're the age of accountability. You go and make the decision. I'm just providing you information for you to make the best decision possible for you. Not for me, for you. All good. Really good. Uh, Continuing the emails, John, a different John, says, I'm excited to have you two uh, back. Uh, Really happy with your sports, faith, and other format. Hoping you do some on-site podcast at a sports bar or something. Well, I'll tell you what, John. We are not above capitalism. (laughs) We are absolutely not above capitalism. Not at all. Beer Barrel Pizza out there by Costco in uh, Plain City and in Hilliard. That'd be convenient for both Spiels and I. Oh, my God. Do you have restaurants here in Plain City? Yes. You do? Just saying. It's, it's, It's not the barn with the chickens running around that I almost hit every time I come out of here. No. Do you have chickens here? Yes. You you have real chickens? Real this? chickens on property. At our podcast location? On podcast location. That, that's just, do they real stink? Chickens. No, because no, I got them far enough away from the house. Yeah, uh, if you go in the coop, they stink. Yes, <laughs> this just in. Chickens do not smell good. I, I learned like. something about my mother. Okay. The lovely Nancy they, Spielman. At, when she was growing up at one time, were struggling so badly that she actually spent and lived three weeks in a chicken coop. Oh, my god. She never told me that till last year. How humbling is that? That is. Very she never humbling. told me. Wow. Until last year, and I don't even know why she told me that last year. Maybe because I was complaining about property taxes in UA. Maybe <laughs> might have seemed an opportune time to drop that hey, into the conversation. Hey, just for a little to, perspective. Yeah, yeah, there's a little perspective, son. Me and my eight siblings lived in a chicken coop for three weeks when I was growing up. So you know. You're, you'll be fine. Pay your taxes. She's a delightful uh, lady. I got to meet her on the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer, and you'll see her this There's weekend. There's no 78-year-old woman in this world that knows more about football than she does. None. Well, you know what that means. That means we got to get her on the Spielman and Hooley podcast sometime. Uh, I don't know how good she'd be on the phone. I think she'd be pretty good. No, she'd be pretty she'd good. She'd be shy. Final email from Chris. He says, you guys left Pete Carroll off your list of former Ohio State assistant coaches who have won at Ohio Stadium. USC beat OSU That's in right. Columbus. In 2009, glad you guys are back. Love the show so far. Thanks for holding us accountable. You are right. We did leave Pete. I know, and I remember watching that game. And it was was it close? It was very close. Matt Barkley let him down the field. Oh, that was the uh, your love affair with Matt Barkley that was just driving me insane. See that border collie out there in the uh, driveway? You know what his name is? He's still bouncing around the league. Your boy Barkley. Barkley. Barkley the border collie. Yes. There's so many dogs around here, I can't keep them straight. I don't even know what a border carly. Only three. You All have three right. in your house. I have three. Yeah. One in my house and two outside. All right. All right. Uh, a word for those of you who have kids who are getting senior pictures taken. Want to save a little money? Flashes O Fun. They're online at Flashes O, not of, O Fun. Flashes O Fun. Dot com. Their photos have been viewed over a million times. I'm sure their photos Unsplashed. are awesome. Their photos are awesome. Do I get a little cut of that plug you just gave? Of course or? you do. Of course you do. <laughs> if anything comes from it. Eat a Jeff Ruby's, by the way. Best steak in the world. Yeah. Jeff, why don't you cater the Spielman and Hooley podcast sometime? We'll be happy to show your fine fare on our YouTube uh, channel. There you go. Which you can search our YouTube channel, Spielman and Hooley No Spaces on YouTube. Uh, find us on every podcast platform. Tell your friends. Please subscribe. It really helps us get spots with advertisers so we can continue to do this because who knows how long Mr. Spielman is going to patiently drive out here (laughs) to the hinterlands to do a podcast for which we are not getting compensated, Uh, but we are having fun. Yes, we are. And we love interacting with you guys. Uh, That is episode, I'm losing track, eight, nine? I think it's Uh, nine. 
I don't know. We head for double figures on you're Friday. The, you're the CEO of this uh, operation. It was your idea. I'm gonna blame <laughs> but you you're the CEO. I'm gonna blame you if it you goes accepted south. it. You accepted the I role. Accept, you're responsible. I accepted the challenge. Very good. We are back Friday with another edition of the Spielman and Hooley podcast.